Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with L.A.-born, New York City-based jazz pianist and composer Victor Gould. He spent some time with the show talking about his new 2021 CD, In Our Time. It is his fourth album as a leader in a trio setting. The celebrated and talented cat was born in Los Angeles and now is based in New York. And he began playing piano at the age of four. And he joined the great alto saxophonist Donald Harrison and his band at the age of 17. Since then, he has toured the world, working with the finest in the world of jazz. Since his first critically acclaimed CD, Clockwork, back in 2016, he has not slowed down a bit. Enjoy. Victor, hey, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz, man. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So, you know, not only is In Our Time a very sonically pleasing, very powerful album, I love the homages you have to Wallace and Ralph and a lot of those cats on this album, and you had some great covers. So this seems like it was a real joy to put together for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, it really was kind of a last-minute thing in terms of uh, usually when usually I have a bit more time to prepare, but I was uh, kind of inspired last minute by a, a grant that I received. I was sort of forced to kick things in gear and, and get all the songs I had together, uh, you know, smaller ideas that I'd worked on and kind of finishing those out. This also comes out during a very peculiar time on the planet with the pandemic. I mean, it, a month ago, we would be talking about a whole different narrative. You know, things were opening up. Not that they're not now, but things have definitely changed. But my question to you is the timing of this. How did this feel to be able to put material out when there was such an absence of live music and communication with the fans has been kind of altered, so to speak? I, I feel really privileged to be able to do this. You know, I, I can't imagine how I'd be able to do this without... Uh, you know, Blue Room Music, uh, the record label, and uh, and also the, you know, Doris Duke Foundation was able to kind of put those things together to to make one, uh, to make the project a bit bigger than I expected. It was really the source of my inspiration at the time because I was, you know, towards the first, towards the beginning of lockdown, wasn't feeling very inspired musically. I was so, uh, as all of us were concerned with so many other things, soon after, you know, I guess March 2020, uh, maybe April or May, I found out about, uh, you know, that grant and just began finishing all these songs, you know, and really uh, getting ready to, to go in the studio as soon as possible. So talk to me a little bit about ultimately with this album, what do you want the, the listener, the downloader or those that buy this album? What do you really want them to get from this project? How do you want them to feel about it? Well, it's hard to put in, into words. You know, a lot of times words will almost kind of take away from the experience. The musical experience is, you know, speaks for itself. I really try to incorporate things that are important to me. Most importantly, or I don't know, most importantly, but, you know, up there on the list is the swing feel. That was something that I've always want to incorporate in all of my albums. And, the, you know, the tradition of swing and, you know, all the thing that, you know, everything that, that, uh, encompasses as well as you know making sure the songs have a certain amount of sophistication you know in terms of like uh, density and uh and content you know uh, I've, I've always appreciated appreciated music that's very dense and has uh you know different sections and it's very dramatic so you know i try to do that i try to make that happen for for my music as well as uh the incorporation of uh, different rhythms from from around the world and 
things I've been influenced by. So since your debut in 2016, Clockwork, talk to me a little bit about what your evolution has looked like for you. You know, when you put out each successive release, is there something in your mind that's thinking, okay, I, I want to get to this point. This is this is what I want to do at this point in my career, or is it really kind of emblematic of that time in your life and what you're doing and how you're feeling about your life? It's really a more organic process, you know. From Clockwork, those were kind of all the songs, my favorite songs I've written in, in my entire life. You know, up until then, a lot of those songs I wrote in college, I was able to you know modify them and, and change them. Um, I was also performing them a lot when when I moved to New York with a lot of different bands. And so, yeah, and the second album was a little bit more last minute. I was offered uh, that, you know, recording opportunity from uh, Criss Cross. And um, I was just so honored that I just, you know, took the opportunity and kind of tried to make it happen. And But that came out good, too. And, you know, so my third and fourth albums were a little bit more uh, intentional in the sense that I just decided that I wanted to write some more music and, and get in the studio. And, you know, the label is really supportive of that and really flexible with the timing. So the way it progresses is kind of, it's a little bit less intentional. It's just, I'm always just kind of writing what I hear and, uh, you know, trying to write the most interesting music possible. You were born in LA and now you're in New York. Talk to me a little bit about kind of this transfer between coasts and how all of this geographically has been for you, kind of, you know, how has that worked out for you? Also, really natural. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles area, Simi Valley to be specific, but I went to Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Right after that, I was uh, in Boston at Berkeley College of Music for four years, and then New Orleans for two years for my master's degree at Loyola University. You know, right after that was... Uh, New York, and it seemed kind of natural to me. Uh, I was already accustomed to the East Coast, you know, from Boston, and pretty much my entire, I wouldn't say my entire life, but when I decided that I wanted to be a jazz musician, I, you know, I knew I was going to move to New York, so that that was the plan all along, and strangely enough, it was kind of exactly what I thought it would be, you know, uh, at least maybe I've tricked my mind into to thinking that, but you know, it was very, very natural uh, to adjust uh, to the the difference in culture, and I mainly was pleased with how inspiring it is to be around so many great musicians. And um, that's something that I've always, I've always been grateful to be around great people. You know, my whole life, but New York is almost like an overwhelming, overwhelming version of that. You know, it's really hard to comprehend how many brilliant musicians are in New York City. So I just feel, you know, grateful to be be around all of that. You know, you've been at the Keys since you were four. Obviously, this has been going on for a long, long time. But my question to you is, did you always know that jazz was going to be your life? Or did you have a flashpoint where you thought, all right, this is what I'm going to do? Oh, well, my father is a jazz musician. He's a jazz flautist, and he never played professionally, but he always had a huge record collection and was always playing music around the house. So uh, even before I began playing jazz, I actually, uh, well, I started playing piano four, as you mentioned, and uh, I didn't start jazz, playing jazz until I was about uh, 12 or 13. And so 
before that was just classical and, and gospel. I was playing in church. By the time I was in about 10th grade, I was still really serious about it and, you know, was doing competitions and playing gigs. There's just a certain group of people that I began hanging out with around, you know, in high school, really ninth grade and eighth grade, that really inspired me to, you know, get it going. Uh, you know, these guys had gigs, gigs around town. They were in high school, too. Great bass players. Great bass player by the name of Dave Robert was one of the guys that really uh, let me know at an early age that, wow, we can uh, make a living doing this and, you know, maybe we can get some scholarships to, to college and all of this. So, you know, I really kicked it in gear and, and started practicing a lot more when I realized, you know, I could go to college to do it and, and make a living doing it. That's when I decided to switch to uh, L.A. County High School. I was already going to a, uh, a public high school in Simi Valley you know, Simi Valley High School, but uh, when I made that switch, that's when I, I knew it was the point of no return, you know. 11th grade, I was in the arts high, and, and, and it was on, you know. Before we get to that prestigious Harry Hancock presidential scholarship you got at Berkeley, because you kind of alluded to going to school and getting a scholarship, I want to know, what was the first live jazz show you either saw or the first show that made you think, man, I want to do that. I want to be on stage. I want that to be my life. Oh, wow. That, uh, well, my dad took me to so many great shows that uh, we we frequented uh, Catalina Bar and Grill in Hollywood. And, uh, wow, to think of the first one, the first one I remember was, he, you know, we went to see Chick Corea. And, uh, well, you know, seeing Oscar Peterson at the Hollywood Bowl, that was really memorable for me. And that's when, uh, you know, we could say that that was a moment where I said, wow, you know, I really want to do this. At an early age, you know, we saw Ahmed Jamal and Gonzalo Rubacaba. That was really memorable for me. Uh, he's still one of my favorites to this day. Uh, and Benny Green, any great pianist that was in town, he would take me to see. Oh, seeing Roy Hargrove at, at Catalina at an early age was really special to me, too. You know, he was kind of alluding to... The fact, like, maybe one day, you know, if you work hard, you can be in the band. He didn't say that exactly, but, you know, one of those things, like, uh, I want to hear you play one day. I thought that was really cool. We, so maybe that was a memorable show, too, the Roy Hargrove show back back then. But there's so many great acts coming to California, coming to the Los Angeles area. I was surprised there wasn't more people there, because to me, these guys were superstars. I, I, I can't even believe that we can... Uh, we could get in the door, you know, because these were all the guys from my dad's recording. So I, I, um, I assume these guys were rock stars. But I just remember being surprised that there was only, you know, a couple hundred people or however many in the room. Got got the opportunity to see some great shows. So I'll keep Jared too at uh, early high school. So that was that was great too. Wow, what a list, man! And speaking of a list, you know, you started playing with sax star. Donald Harrison at the age of 17. What did he, what kind of seeds did he sprinkle in you that have grown over the years that you remember that really helped you as a professional? Wow, he was so helpful and, and so inspirational. Just getting the chance to go on the road and travel the world almost right away, uh, right as soon as I started college. One of the most important things that keeps coming back to my mind, I remember we were in the studio recording The Chosen album. It's a Nagel Hire, Hire release, like a German label. He said, if you listen to all the greats, you can uh, you can analyze their stuff and see that it all lines up. You know, there are no notes out of place. 
that really stuck with me, you know, and I made sure to pay closer attention to detail, even listen to the grace a little bit closer and see that, wow, these guys really were very, very precise. And so was Donald himself. If you listen to all of his recordings, all of his notes are spoken for. There's no random, nothing random going on, you know. I really got to see how how much pride they have in the music and how how serious it really is. You know, that really stuck with me forever. And also, one thing that great Donald Harrison uh, stresses a lot is um, versatility. You know, he's one of the most versatile musicians. You know, that encouraged me to check out some different kinds of music and really try to approach each genre in an authentic way and and put some put some time into some of these different subgenres of, of jazz. You know, every day you wake up, you get to create, you get to put something out there that's probably going to make somebody happy. What's the best part of this process of being a professional musician for you every day, whether it's, you know, creating music, travel, whatever it is, what do you like the best about this process? The best part about it is the, uh, the potential. You know, it's never, even uh, no matter how things go, it could always be better. You know, I'm always thinking of the potential to reach a larger audience. It's hard to really see how many people you've really reached. You know, a lot of these programs or uh, online things can tell you how many people have checked out your music or, can't, or visited your page, but as far as really touching someone's life, it's really hard to tell, and it seems like there's no limit to how much we can do in that regard. Even some of the artists I mentioned, if I get the... When I had the opportunity to meet them, it's really impossible to tell them, you know, what they've, the impact they've had on my life, you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm uh, guessing they don't even really know the full impact they've made, you know. I appreciate that opportunity to, to just affect a lot of people in a positive way. And sometimes in a way that can't even be explained. You know, music is very mystical and has, uh, has several functions that we don't even understand yet. Just to put things out there with a po- with positive intention, I think is a very good thing. I agree, man. And, you know, the thing about your career is is that you, it, it's taken off. You've done so many things with so many big names. And I want to know, from the legends and luminaries, what have you learned that you, in turn, have tried to help younger players that are around you? What did they give you that you, in turn, are giving back? Wow, uh, there's so many things. And maybe that that in itself is something I, I try to tell them is that uh, there's an overwhelming amount of things to practice and focus on as long as you, whatever you focus on is based in love and that you really love what you're doing. You know, that's um, something that I've gotten from the older generation. And, and another thing I noticed is that, uh, you know, how much they love the music. It, it seems like they're almost obsessed with the music and I've I always strive to make that happen. Maybe I'll say I've strived to find a greater love for the music. You know, I think of, I really think of Wallace Roney, hearing him, spending time with him and hearing him listen to music and the way he would used to talk about music and uh, hearing him sing solos. And it's really a lot different than just the average musician that's very talented and, you know, says they love jazz. It's, it's a whole different level of love that I, I saw from people like that. And, you know, countless other names I can mention that people I've been around where I could just see the love for the music is greater than the average musician. Search for ways to grow that love in myself, you know. Everything is stemming from that. 
I believe. So, you know, practicing and ambition for the music all comes from just a general love for the history of the music. You know, the other thing, too, I'm curious is that, you know, you've been around for a long time and you've seen a lot of stages and a lot of miles. And I wonder, you know, if you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger self around the time that you were really starting to be a professional, maybe when you were 17, maybe your early 20s, and you could give your younger self one piece of advice. And this isn't a regret question. This is like purely taking the wisdom that you've accumulated over the years and letting your younger self know one thing. What would you tell your younger self? Wow, that's a tough question. Well, I was always under the impression, I'm glad you said this isn't a regret because I'm really happy with the way everything went in my career so far, but I was under the impression that you have to be a sideman first and that, you know, promoters and club club owners would uh, appreciate the fact that you played with some seasoned musicians. That was my about 90% of my focus, you know, the past, uh, you know, until about maybe five or six years ago, uh, is what, you know, checking out what other people would like or appreciate in a piano player. And that's, that's caused me to practice a lot and, and develop a lot of things that I would, would have never developed before. It also allowed me to, um, to kind of neglect some artistic things that should have been addressed earlier on. You know, I was kind of, focus on other people's artistic vision. And I think I would tell myself, just um, focus on being an artist rather than a, a sideman. That's something, I've, something I'm, I'm working on now, uh, developing. I thought, I thought it was all one thing, but, you know, being a leader is something I, I have to, uh, you know, really work on in terms of marketing and, and things like that. Let me ask you this. You know, as, as things kind of start opening up a little bit more, I mean, there's more live, live gigs and, the likelihood of that as we go forward is going to increase. What do you hope we all realize about the power of live music as we kind of return in earnest? What, like collectively, musician and the audience, what do you hope we get from this time away? I hope we can all learn to appreciate each other more and kind of uh, pay attention to the healing properties of music. I think the break has been good in a way. I, I feel like the audiences they appreciate uh, the bands a little bit more as far as... Um, you know, what I've seen from the, the few shows I've done recently. We should also, uh, we should also re, uh, reevaluate the importance of musicians. You know, this term essential was very useful for, you know, the emergency we were going through, but we really have to reevaluate who's essential and, you know, and kind of realize that we're all essential in our, in a special way. You know, people were saying music, music wasn't essential, but that's one of the main things that was getting us through the pandemic is, you know, music and, and movies, those go, those go hand in hand, uh, cinema and, and music. So, you know, I hope people just reevaluate how the importance of musicians in society. Man, you, I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know, and I guess one addendum to this question is this, you know, as the jazz community emerges, there's been a lot of things that have been a sea change, a lot of like little and big changes that have happened in the world, the jazz community, as musicians reemerge and come out. How do you think people are going to be stronger? You know, it's been a big mirror. There's been a lot of things that have happened. How do you see this jazz community coming back as a stronger organism? Well, I was hoping some more unions or, or some kind of agreement would come out of, of this as far as uh, the amount 
of money that musicians are getting paid, um, there's been kind of a a problem with you know over the past thirty or forty years. Seems like the fees have gone down, or you know a lot of clubs have paid the same thing for years, and you know uh, inflation has has affected affected us in a big way. But I'm I'm hoping that um, that musicians get paid a bit more after this, and it seems. It seems like some clubs are trying to to bump the price, bump the fees up a bit, but I just I really hope this it doesn't go in the other way where people are taking advantage of musicians because they're desperate to get back on stage. You know, uh, a lot of businesses are you know don't really know what a musician should be paid, so it kind of is up to us to you know just have enough integrity to make uh, good negotiations and communicate with the venues and. I'm hoping that that things will get better in that in that sense. Very simply put, why do you love jazz? It's an expression that's very unique to human to the human experience. I can't think of anything else that that could reveal the beauty of of someone in that in that way. You know, it's a very specific thing that human beings can do in terms of improvising improvising with that certain feeling that is attached to our ancestors and uh, you know the people that started the music. I hope that makes sense. It seems like it seems like just a very unique thing that human beings can do. Um, and it can't really be compared to any other skill that we have. You know, we have so many great abilities, as we as we can see on uh, you know from all of our our greats that have uh, dedicated the time to their craft. But um, jazz music is very specific. You know, I think it's a beautiful thing. I hope, I wish. Uh, I hope more and more people can can appreciate the art of improvisation and you know the tradition of uh, jazz music. Absolutely. So everyone has a version of you, a perception of who they think you are. Your family, your friends, and your fans. But ultimately, you live your life. Who do you mm-hmm. think you are? Just a, a father and a husband, and a musician, composer. You know pretty simple you know a son and and all of that that's pretty much it yeah that's the simple route the best way sometimes for sure man victor hey right. it was great it, 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 this was great man thank you for taking a minute out from neon jazz good luck with the album and the return to the stage all right joe thank you thank you for having me Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in L.A., New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Victor for his class, cool, and time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.